In this first part of the end time series, we lay a foundation on the importance of studying Bible prophecy, the approach we take in doing so. We establish the fact that Bible prophecy is absolutely credible and reliable. We then lay some groundwork by discussing regions of the world that are of importance in Bible prophecy. Bibles, please uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Uh, we'll look at a passage of scripture that we have seen several times in the past, but we'll just uh, look at that, pray, and then make our declaration. Romans chapter 4 and verse 17. Romans 4 verse 17. This is what the Bible tells us here. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. So the latter part of this verse teaches us something about God. God gives life to the dead. So when you and I look at things and say, you know, it's dead, God says, well, I want to give life to it. I want to resurrect it. I want to bring it back to life. So God is a God who gives life to the So that could represent anything that's hopeless, without life, that's beyond our, you know, whatever, what's happening. God gives life to the dead. But God also does this. He calls things that do not exist as though they did. So here's the second thing about God that this verse tells us. He calls things. That means to call means to speak words. He speaks words. He calls things that do not exist as though they did. Now, when you look at Genesis chapter 1, God actually used words to bring things out of the realm of the spirit into the natural. There was no light. God said, boy, it's dark. No. (laughs) God said, let there be, right? And light came. Lots of other things were not, but God called them in. They came out of the realm of the spirit into the realm of the natural. So here's one important thing. Words have the potential to bring things out of the realm of the spirit into the realm of the... He's given you and me words to use. Words of faith have the potential to bring things out of the realm of the spirit into the realm of the... Secondly, words bring things that do not exist into existence. Words. God's given us the right to use words. Words bring things that do not exist as into existence. God does that. He said, Abraham, I want you to do something from now on. Your name's Abraham, but I want you to start calling yourself Abraham, father of a multitude. He just still didn't have any child. But he started calling himself something he was not because that was God's word for his life. I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. His words, as he aligned themselves up to what God wanted him to speak, caused things to take place in his life. Now, unfortunately, and I'm going to address something that might be a little difficult, but unfortunately, many of us, and sometimes it's because of we don't know better, we've used words in the wrong manner, and our lives have been caged or limited or put a ceiling on our own lives because of our words. We've cursed ourselves. So there are actually curses on your life, which you have put on yourself. Words. Your words are the, are the very things that are 
encaging you, have cap- imprisoned you is the word. It's imprisoned you. You have put curses on your own life. I will never be like this. I will never amount to that. I'm always like this. Curses that we've put on our own selves. Some of us have gone to the extent to have death wishes. I wish I was dead. It's a death wish on your own life. Words are not ordinary. They have impact on you, on us. Are you with me? Some of us have taken on vows that have actually ruined our lives. And I will never get married. And now you're wondering why you aren't, you know. Hey, go back to when you were 16. You said, I will never get married, you know. You did a vow right there. Now you're finding it so hard to find somebody. (laughs) You vowed. So it's a vow you took, but it has limited your life. I will never go near a man. I will never, you know, I will never trust a man. I will never trust a woman. Whatever, different things. Our words. Are you with me? Words are important in Scripture. So what must we do? Well, you and I have a right to also negate our words. That means we go before God and say, God, I should not have spoken like that. I should not have said those things over my own life like that. Today, I repent of those words. I cancel the power of those words. Whether the curses you put upon yourself, death wishes you put upon yourself, vows you took upon yourself, I cancel those words. And from now on, I'm going to speak according to the word of God. God said, you are blessed with all spiritual blessings. That's a good thing to say. I am blessed. Amen? Why do you want to curse yourself? Say what God says. He's always said good things about you. He says you're highly favored. He says you're the righteousness of God. He says you're more than a conqueror. He says you can do all things through Christ. He says you are an overcomer. See, God said so many good things about you, and we keep saying all the bad things about ourselves. And so we have limited our own lives by our words. Amen? So before we make our declaration, we've got to first repent. Repent of all the wrong things we've spoken of our, over our lives. Cancel those vows. Cancel those curses. Cancel those death wishes. And for some of us, the reason our healing is not happening, the reason certain things in life are not changing, is because of what you've put upon yourself. So why? Why isn't this not changing? Repent of those vows, of those curses, of those death wishes, of the wrong things you put upon yourself. Cancel the power of those words. Words open up, make an entry point for God to work in our lives or for demons to work in our lives. Your words. Are you with me so far? Yes? So, right where you are seated, let's bow our heads and repent. (laughs) Let's pray right now. And if you can think of any of these things that maybe you've said wrong about your own life, I want you to go before God, first of all, and just say, God... I know I've said these kinds of things over my own life. I'm repenting of those things. I'm repenting, Lord, of curses I've put upon my own life. About vows that I've made that are wrong. About death wishes upon my own life. I'm repenting of that. I should not have spoken like that. I'm repenting of it. Because those words have opened up the work of the enemy in my life. So, Father, right now, this morning, we repent, Father God, of wrong words we've spoken over our own lives, words that defeat us, words that open up entry point for the enemy, words that have brought sickness, disease, death, failure, defeat, 
we repent of all of those words. We're going to align our words. We're going to align our speaking to your holy word. Would you say this with me? In Jesus' name, I cancel the power of every wrong word I have spoken out of my mouth. In the name of Jesus, I cancel every vow that has brought death, sickness, disease. I cancel those words. I cancel the curses. I've spoken over my own life. I, can, I cancel any death wishes over my own life. In the name of Jesus. Also, in the name of Jesus. I cancel any curses that may have been spoken over me by anyone in my family or anyone connected to me. I cancel the power of those words. And I declare that I receive God's word as my final authority in my life. According to God's word, it will be in my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's rise and make our declaration now. So I want you to hold your Bible high up in the air. Say this out loud, bold, and strong with me. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word. I believe His word. And I live by His word. Christ is my master. And to Him, I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Say, cancel the person next to you. Say hello. Give them your name and you may be seated. Okay, I'm looking at the clock and it already says it's 12. And the sermon is only about to start. <laughs> so please bear with us today. Uh, it's very likely we're going to go over 12.30, so uh, please excuse us for that. This morning, we're going to start off on a very interesting series. We're going to be talking about the end times. And I was just looking back at all the sermons we've done, and I realized that the last time we spoke on the end times was in 2006. That was 10 years ago, and uh, that was a long time. Uh, so it's good to revisit this topic and, uh, and just, you know, spend time seeing what the Bible speaks to us about the end times. Just to give us a quick overview of what we're going to be doing over the next six Sundays. So we've broken it down into six sermons. Uh, now, in the Bible college, we spend about 30 to, little over, between 30 to 40 hours of teaching on the end times. So you can imagine trying to compress all that into six hours is going to be tough, uh, or less than six hours. So, what, I would, what we will be doing is uh, bringing summaries of various things the Bible talks about, but every sermon 
note will be published online, which will have all the scriptures and all the other notes that you would need. So you can always take it off our church website and study it further in depth. I would encourage you to do that. And hopefully at some point we'll have all this uh, available as, um, uh, in a book form. But just to give us a quick overview of what we're going to be talking about over the next several Sundays, we, uh, today we're going to lay an introduction and we'll also talk about the fact that the Bible is a very reliable prophetic book. The word reliable, I think, is an understatement. It, it, is, it is the best prophetic book, most reliable, most dependable, accurate. And we will talk about that a little bit. We'll also close off this morning by talking about the Middle East and other regions that are addressed in Bible prophecy. So that the next time you look at the news, you will read it with the understanding that the Bible does talk about these regions of the world. And you'll be surprised uh, as to the various parts of the world that that are addressed in Bible prophecy. Next Sunday, we'll talk about Israel, the land, its people in Bible prophecy. Many of us are aware that God called Abraham and and gave him a certain piece of land starting from the river Nile all the way up to the Euphrates and said, this is the land for you and your descendants. And we'll we'll talk about that and and various things that God has spoken concerning uh, Israel, the people, and Jerusalem. In the weeks to come, uh, we'll talk about the Bible prophecies that have been fulfilled and are being fulfilled. And then we'll give a panoramic view of all the end time events that the Bible reveals to us that lie ahead of us. And we will put them out on a timeline so we get a clear picture of all the things that lie ahead of us uh, as, as the Bible presents them to us. We'll talk about signs of the times, things that we should be looking for uh, that indicate to us that we are close to the end. And then we'll do a survey of the New Testament, pick up every verse of Scripture in the New Testament on the end times. Obviously, we're not going to cover all of that here, but we will we'll address some of them. The rest will be in the sermon notes. Similarly with the Old Testament. And then we will close off in giving a quick overview of the book of Revelation. The details will be in the sermon notes, but the sermon will bring, bring to us a very concise summary of the entire book of Revelation. You know, as we, uh, the word eschatology simply means a study of end times. So don't get too impressed if somebody says, I'm studying eschatology. It sounds very, you know, <laughs> impressive. Uh, it simply means I'm studying about the end times. I'm studying about the last things, the, the, uh, the things that the Bible says will take place towards the end of time. And, and, and as you and I look around the world today, or we read about, we see political upheaval, we see fear because of terrorism and our racial intolerance. Uh, we see great positive things happen. We see the advance of science and technology and just amazing things that, that are uh, accessible to us because of those advancements. Life has, uh, you know, has, has improved so much uh, because of all of these things that we have. But we also see challenges in the environment, in climate change. Uh, we see social challenges and uh, some of these things are alarming the way... Uh, uh, People are beginning to change just the way they conduct themselves in society. And we also see radical changes in religious thinking and spiritual beliefs. All of these things are happening around us. And uh, it's important for us to be able to look at these things in the light of what what the Bible already has for us. So let us first of all establish why it is important for us as believers to be even concerned uh, 
with this subject of the end times. You know, many of us are going to get up tomorrow morning, uh, go to work, and you're going to meet a boss. So you're going to be in a, you know, in a, in a board meeting or some sort of a meeting, and you're cons- we are all concerned with things of today. Uh, why should we be worried about this topic of the end times? Why should we even be concerned about it? And I want to just bring to us several reasons the Bible puts forth for us. Number one, because God has revealed that to us in His Word, and He invites us to discover it and live by it. So in Scripture, God has spoken much about the end times, about the end of the age and beyond, and what He intends to do. He's put that in the Word, and He wants us to discover it. Look, for instance, at Revelation chapter 1, what God spoke to John at the very beginning of that writing. He says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signaled it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Then he says in verse 3, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written. So he says, you know, if you read this and you keep it, you're blessed. So God wants us to come in, read everything he's put in the Bible, prophetic scriptures, understand it, and begin to order our lives accordingly. Second reason why this study would be important to us is because God has revealed the signs of the times and he wants to make sure that we live according to it. As we see things happen around us, we shouldn't just, you know, uh, uh, be, you know, become complacent and go through life just like it's, it's, it's normal. But we need to recognize the signs of the times and begin to live uh, in, in response to that. Paul writes in Revela- Romans 13, verses 11 to 14, he says, And do this knowing that the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, let us put on the armor of light, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness, lust, and not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. He's saying, you know, understand the time in which you're living. It's not the time to be asleep. Tell your neighbor, not now. (laughs) It's the time to awake. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Walk in righteousness. Now is not the time to be playing with sin. Get all that off. Because the day is nearer than when we first began. That's the second reason. Number three. Because God wants us to be a people of hope. You know, life has its challenges. All of us are going through, face the storms of life, the challenges of life. And sometimes things can be so painful, hurtful. And we don't always have answers to those things. But we have a hope. We have a precious hope that even though I may not understand the challenges of today, that I can look forward to a glorious future in eternity. There is things that are beyond this transient period of life. And John writes this in 1 John. He says, Beloved, 1 John 3 verses 2 and 3, Beloved, we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know. Everybody say we know. Say it like you mean it. We know. It's something we know. He says we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. He says, wow. See, 
I don't, I don't understand everything, but I know I'm a child of God now. And I know when Jesus comes, I'm going to be like him. Things are going to change. For we will see him as he is. And so he says in verse 3, everyone who has this hope. If you have this hope, he says, you know, you can live purify, you purify yourself because he is pure. And you're beginning to live in response to this hope that you carry. You and I are not hopeless people. Paul said, if only in this life we have, uh, you know, it's, if, if our faith only matters for this life, he says, we are of all men most miserable. Our hope is beyond this life. Amen? And so we carry that precious hope with us through all that life brings. Number four, why should we study prof- prof- prophetic scriptures? Because we affirm that God is unfolding His glorious plan and will redeem all things back to Himself. Uh, you know, we affirm that even though right now things may look like they're in a big mess, even though the world may seem like it's, it's, it's in a terrible shape, we still affirm that God Almighty is working out His glorious plan. And at the end of it all, He is going to remove sin, sickness, disease, Satan, and evil. And He's going to establish a, a, a world that He originally intended uh, for all of us. Amen? We affirm that. And we can do that because we see what the Bible says about uh, what is to come, about things to come. Number five, or number, number five, be, and because of this hope, we are active and fulfilling our assignment on the earth. Because we have this hope, because we know the times, the seasons, we know that right now there is one responsibility given to you and me to preach the gospel, to get the message out, uh, and to let bring as many people as we can to the faith. And so we go about our assignment. We know God's called us to do this. Yes, we have certain responsibilities on the earth. We have uh, our work and job and profession, all of that. But all of that has purpose. It's to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so we order our lives in the light of that. Second Corinthians 5, 10 and 11, Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. So Paul says, you know, we're all going to stand before that judgment seat. We're going to give an account of what's happened in our life here on earth. And because we know that, today, we're busying ourselves to persuading people. Trying to get people to come to know the truth. Amen? So we live out of that recognition. We live on on, on a heavenly assignment. Number six, why study prophecy? Because... Prophecy has to be preached to all people so that they can come to faith in Christ. Uh, Paul writes this in Romans 16, verses 25 to 27. He says, To him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, According to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. To God alone who is wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. So what is he saying? You know, this mystery, the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ. It was held as a mystery. But now it's been revealed to us. And this prophetic scriptures must be preached to all the nations. So people can come to the... So why must we know the prophetic scriptures? So we announce it to the world. Let people know. What the Bible says about the end times, it will impact lives and bring people to their faith. Again, as, as, as a preparation to go into this study, I want to just mention three things on our approach in studying the end times. So what is the approach we're going to take? First of all, 
when we read end time scripture, end time prophetic scripture, first is we're going to take things in a literal sense unless the literal cannot be taken the way it is and it, it implies that it should be taken figuratively. So anywhere, for instance, if the Bible says it's seven years, we're going to say it's seven years. All right, so we're not going to, uh, so we will take it literally first and only when the literal may be an absurdity, then we say that that scripture is figurative and then we interpret the figurative, first of all, within the context of what it is given and then in the context of the rest of scripture. So when we get into very specific passages of scripture in Daniel, Zechariah, and Ezekiel, and Revelation, I will show this to you. I'll show you how we take things literally. This is what it says. That's how we take it. But when it is figurative, then we know we have to interpret the figurative. The second aspect of our approach here is that we do not engage in speculation or sensationalism. So we're going to stay away from it. Meaning, if there are things the Bible is silent about, we're going to say we don't know. Or that part, the Bible doesn't say anything, so we will not try to attempt to say something. Or even if we make an attempt, we will say that's only what we think and not say it categorically. Are you with me? We don't want to engage in speculation. If the Bible doesn't say it, so we doesn't say that doesn't, we don't know what's going to happen in that period of time. It's very quiet there. So we will not engage in speculation. We're not going to say, you know, oh, wow, uh, all these things are happening. So Jesus is coming tomorrow at 12 o'clock. Be ready. <laughs> no speculation like that. We're not going to engage in that. Not engage in sensationalism. You know, uh, just because something happened in the news, or excite people about it. No. You know, we want to... Uh, avoid and stay away from that. We are aware, like for instance, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 36, of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So about his, the time of his return, he says, nobody knows. We can recognize this, the times or the seasons or the, 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 the period of time that's approaching close, but we don't know the day, the hour. We can't do that. We can't predict that. And so we'll refrain from doing that. We are comfortable and accepting what Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, that their secret things belong to the Lord our God, and those things that are revealed are belong to us and to our children, that we may live by it. So there are things that God has not revealed. The problem is many times people get into this area where God has not revealed things, and they begin to impose or promote their own ideas uh, in a very strong way, saying this is the way, when actually it's mere speculation. So we should avoid that. The last thing is this, that... Uh, we recognize that uh, there are differences of uh, interpretations in some cases. Uh, there are different positions, eschatological positions that people take. We are aware of it. And so as we present our understanding of the, of the prophetic scriptures, uh, we will do it with reverence uh, or with respect to other people who may hold differing positions. Uh, we are not going to condemn anybody or try to prove that you know, uh, we are the only right. Uh, we will definitely show why we say what we say, but we will respect other uh, positions, but we will be uncompromising on certain things. We will not compromise on the fact that salvation is through Jesus Christ. We will not compromise on the fact that there will be a judgment, that there will be a resurrection, that the Lord Jesus is coming back, and there will be a new heavens and a new earth. We will not compromise on those things which the Bible is absolutely clear about, but we are okay if people hold differing opinions uh, on certain other things. Are you with me? Right? So that's the approach we are going to take uh, as we step in to these scriptures. Now, let's first of all, this morning, uh, we want to impress on our hearts that the Bible is a, an absolutely reliable prophetic book. That there are, you know, uh, we will show, we'll say later that there are over 2,500 prophecies in scripture. 
to over 2,000 of these have already been fulfilled. And we will highlight some of these things. What we must understand is that the Bible claims for itself to be an inspired word. 2 Timothy 3.16, the Bible says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, not the imagination of man. So it's not a religious book, just a good book that you know, some man imagined as some good moral values and codes and put some things together. No, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. That means, of course, God used people like just ordinary people, but he inspired them. And therefore, the Bible has as, as its source God himself. And when these prophets wrote, when, we, when these prophets wrote, the Bible says that many times they wrote, not many times, they wrote things that were well ahead of their time. Some of them wrote thousands of years ahead of their time. And they did not necessarily understand themselves things which they wrote. So when they wrote, they didn't necessarily understand it. They wrote things way ahead of time. They wrote it. They wrote what they saw or what they heard. And they did not necessarily understand it. Look at these scriptures here. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10 through 12, the Bible says, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to us, to you, searching out or what manner of time the Spirit was in them was indicating when He testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which they now have, which now have been reported to you, to those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which the angels desire to look to them. The, the prophets, when they wrote, they realized that they were writing things for people well in a different age, in a different time. And they themselves are trying to understand what time am I writing about? They didn't have that understanding. So they wrote for things for generations ahead of them. And even the angels were looking into it and trying to say, man, can you guess when Jesus is going to come? Gabe, I have no idea. <laughs> even the angels were trying to figure out, hey, when is that going to happen? You know, they were also trying to figure it out. But the prophets prophesied. Second Peter 1, 20 and 21 says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the holy. It says, you know, prophecy is not science fiction. The book of Revelation is not science fiction. You know, it's not like somebody went up somewhere and let their imagination go wild and they write it and they say, this is science fiction. Just enjoy it, but it's not real. <laughs> no. This is not that. No prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the holy. And when they prophesied about things, they spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is a real person behind this. Amen? Now, let's look at some prophecies as a sample of things that were spoken and things that that came to pass. And there's only a sampling. There are literally thousands of these that you can pick up uh, in Scripture. For instance, we start off with in, the, in the very beginning. God spoke to Abraham. Oh, oh, let me just back up here. Like you see here, there are about 10,385 verses that talk about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a lot of Scripture. Okay? It cannot be avoided or neglected. Um, Egypt's slavery. God spoke to Abraham. He said, you know, your people are going to be slaves for 400 years. And then... I'm going to bring them out. And then I'm going to take them to a land that I will give them. And this happened. 
Abraham never lived to see it. He only received the word. He mentioned that. But sure enough, they were in Egypt for 400 years. At the end of that period, God took them on a journey all the way into a land of promise. In the Babylonian captivity, both Isaiah and Jeremiah prophesied. They did this 80 years ahead of time. Uh, They prophesied and said, Israel, the Babylonians are going to come. They're going to destroy you. You're going to be there for 70 years. And after 70 years, you're going to come back. Now, it's either going to happen or not happen. And everything happened the way these two prophets prophesied. Here's what they said in Jeremiah 25, 11. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Jeremiah 29, 10. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years, you are completed at Babylon. I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. Another one. This is really astounding. About 180 years before Isaiah and Jeremiah, they prophesied about this whole exile and coming back of the Jewish people. But here's what Isaiah did. About 180 years before it actually happened, Isaiah said, there will be a king. His name is Cyrus. God will raise him up. God will empower him over other nations. And he will rebuild. He will send the people back to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. Now, 180 years in advance. So imagine somebody stands up today and says, there'll come a prime minister in India. His name is so-and-so. And and these are the two things he will do. Now, that's going to happen or not going to (laughs) happen. So Isaiah prophesied 180 years before. Read those verses. Isaiah 44, verse 28. He said, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. He shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. His name, Cyrus. Two things he will do, rebuild Jerusalem, get the temple built. In Isaiah 45 verse 1, he says, thus says the Lord to his anointed Cyrus, whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him, to lose the armor of kings, to open up the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. Meaning I'm going to raise him up, he's going to have authority over others. What happened? 180 years later, the Persian king Cyrus. At that time, the Babylonian empire was in power. You've heard of Nebuchadnezzar and his successors. Cyrus comes up, overthrows the Babylonians. Cyrus, the Medo-Persian king, overthrows the Babylonians. And on the first day of his reign, the book of Ezra records this. Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Now, in the first, sorry, the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, That the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. First year of his reign, he says, Guys, I feel something inside me. I feel you should go back to Jerusalem, all of you Jews, and you've got to rebuild your city and your temple. Dr. Hugh Ross is, uh, it was, has been a professor of astron- astronomy for many, many years. He has a PhD in astronomy, and then you know, he's, he's now spending his time looking at science and the Bible. So he tried to calculate the probability that this would have happened by chance. So he says, hey, anything can happen. By chance, this happened. Luck, man, luck. <laughs> What is the probability that this prophecy would have happened by chance? And he said, he did his calculations. I don't know the math behind this. But he said, the possibility that this would have happened by chance is 1 in 10 to the power of 15. 
Meaning, forget it. <laughs> this cannot happen by chance. It had to be God. Look at another prophecy. This is Daniel. Daniel said, 483 years from the time Cyrus issues the decree to rebuild the Jerusalem, 483 years after that, the Messiah will be crucified in Jerusalem. Now, this is not gameplay. He said, 483 years. You read that um, in Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 and 26. He says this, Know therefore and understand that from going forth of the command to restore and, re- and build Jerusalem, from the time the command is issued, until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So here is where we take the figurative. The weeks can't be literal. So that's where we take it to say every week represents a period of seven years. So 7 plus 62 is 69. That is 483 years. He said, the street shall be built again and the wall, that is the city of Jerusalem will be rebuilt, even in trouble sometimes, which is what happened. But after that, 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. 483 years. So 69 times 7. 483 years to the day Jesus Christ was crucified. Now, that can't happen by chance. Can't happen by chance. Is prophecy of Scripture reliable? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you look at the prophecies concerning Christ, so here again, the probability is 1 in 10 to the power of 5 because he said, you know, what is it? Is it, and this is not uh, the selection of the Messiah, but what is it that it happened exactly on 483rd year? For it to happen exactly on the 483rd year, what, not even giving, you know, 484 or 85, the likelihood that it, ha- it would have happened exactly 483 years is 1 in 10 to the power of 5. Just, just that occurrence of that event. Now forget about the fact that you've got to bring the right person in and crucify him. <laughs> that is like 10 to the power of 30. <laughs> Somebody has done the calculation. Just to get the right day, 483, is 1 in 10 to the power of 5. But now you not only get the right day, you got the right place, you get the right person, all of that. That's, that's the probability of that happening by chance is just too much. There are several prophecies concerning Jesus Christ himself. And I'll just run through this. It's not on the screen because there's so too many. But each of these, when you look at the probability of each of these scriptures, these prophecies actually happening, it's, it's shocking. That he would be the seed of a woman. He would come to the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He would be a descendant of Judah. He would be born in Bethlehem. The place of his birth, Micah prophesied 700 years before he would be born in. I mean, like somebody just imagine, somebody says, you, you will be born in Chennai. <laughs> and 700 years ahead of time. Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. The probability of that again is 1 in 10 to the power of 5. Again, to get the place right. He'd be born of a virgin. He would be in Egypt for some time. He would grow up in Nazareth. He would be called a Nazarene. He'd be betrayed by his close friend. He would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. And this money would be used to buy a burial ground. That was prophesied by Zechariah 500 years beforehand. I mean, imagine how you're going to die. Prophesied in such detail. The probability of that happening by chance, again, Dr. Hugh Ross calculates it as 1 in 10 to the 11. That 30 pieces... That he would be crucified, that no bones would be broken at his crucifixion, that men would cast lots for his clothing, and that he would rise again. I just want to talk about two more prophecies here. The destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus foretold that 40 years in advance in Matthew 24 verse 2. He said, do you not see all these things? I say to you, not one stone will rest upon this uh, here upon each other. 
40 years later, the temple was destroyed in AD 70. The last one I want to just bring to our attention here is this. The dispersion and the regathering of Israel was spoken about by the prophet Moses, which means it was spoken of by 3,500 years in advance. Moses prophesied. Other prophets like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah spoke about it again. Jesus spoke about it again. But if you look at it, that Moses started talking about it. That he said, you know, God's going to take you to a land. He's going to give you this land. But you are going to be dispersed. Some of you are going to go off on ships. Some of you are going to go into other nations on land. But you will not be assimilated wherever you go. And eventually you're going to come back to this land. God's going to give it to you. Now we know the Babylonians came about 600 B.C did their part. Jerusalem was destroyed. People came back. 70 AD was a turning point. Jerusalem was destroyed. People were scattered. And literally from that time on, they, some of them went on ships, traveled to other parts of the world. Many of them headed off to North America, the dispersed all across. No longer their own. Until 1948, when Israel came back together, was restored as a nation. And now 42% of Jewish people live in the land of Israel. The probability of this kind of thing happening is 1 in 10 to the power of 20. That this would happen by chance. It's just not possible, humanly speaking. The point is this. Prophetic scriptures are so accurate and so reliable because God is behind it. Amen? God is behind it. And so when we go through various scriptures, we can understand and rely on them. What I want to do just right now is read through the 24th chapter of Matthew. And then I want to just close off this morning by mentioning different parts of the different regions, starting from the Middle East, different regions that are of importance to us. So I just want to read through Matthew 24. uh, And we will come back and study it and break it down further at some other time. But this morning, just as an introduction, I just want to read through this chapter. Look at what Jesus said would be the signs of his coming and how things will happen. I'm going to read through it and make a few comments as we go along. We're not going to study it in detail, but just make some comments. Matthew 24, starting from verse 1. You can follow along in your Bible or it's also on the screen. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. So he's saying this temple is going to be destroyed. Not one stone will remain, which was fulfilled in AD 70. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming out of the end of the age? Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am Christ and will deceive many. So the first thing he says is this. There's going to be mass deception. Many will come and say, I am. Come follow me. Believe me. There's going to be mass deception happening. Verse 6. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, so that you are not troubled. Uh, See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. Now, when you look at prophetic scripture, there is certain things that that will happen at an instant of time. Or at a moment of time. For instance, the prophecy concerning the destruction of the temple, it happened at a time. But then there are other scriptures like these, which are periodic, but will increase in intensity as it gets closer and closer. For example, when Jesus said there will be wars, rumors of wars, nation will be against nation, there will be famine, pestilence, and earthquake. That's always happened. But what's astounding, and you'll see the numbers here in, 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 in one of some, some, a couple of Sundays from now, 
that the magnitude and the intensity of all of these are increasing dramatically. Not marginally, but increasing, they are escalating dramatically. The number of earthquakes, significant earthquakes, about 8.0 uh, on, on the Richter scale. The number of those kinds of earthquakes, you see that, they're increasing in intensity, meaning the frequency and the magnitude of these things are increasing. So there are periodic things like these which will happen, but their intensity will increase. There are other things that are events that will happen. So we got to look out for both. Are you with me? So verse 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver, up, deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. So that again is an ongoing thing. It has always been happening. But the intensity of it has been never, is so in, it's been like never before in our day. And then verse 10, many will be offended, will betray one another, will hate one another. Hate's a big deal nowadays. Verse 11, then many false prophets will arise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. The gospel is being preached across the world like never before. Everywhere you go on radio, television, internet, everywhere the gospel is being proclaimed like never before. Verse 15, therefore when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. So now verse 15, Jesus is referring back to a prophecy of Daniel. Daniel 700 years prior to Jesus. And he's saying that. So meaning... He's validating Daniel's prophecy. He's talking about an abomination of desolation. This is the Antichrist. He says, when you see him standing in the holy place, meaning the temple. Today at the temple mount stands a mosque. Which means in order for this to be fulfilled, a temple has to be put there. And when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place. He says, that is a sign. That's something that's gonna, you have to pay attention to. So it's important to see what happens in and around the Temple Mount. I'll talk, mention that a little later. But let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. When that happens, he says, when that happens, when the Antichrist steps in, when this man steps in, this has got to be a response. That him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his home. Let him who is on the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nur- nursing babies in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulations that just never been... Since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless, unless those days were shortened, no flesh will be saved. But for the elect's sakes, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe. For false prophets and false Christs will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so will also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the great tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. The powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch, its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. 
So you also, when you see these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Now, he's saying in one generation, this entire end time thing will take place, will transpire. So if we are that generation, in our generation, a maximum period of 70 years, a generation, all these things will take place. So it's so important to understand if are we that generation, all this will happen in one generation. Now in Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about different periods of time. Things that will happen before the tribulation, during the tribulation, after the tribulation. So we're going to break that down in a future Sunday and, and, and elaborate it. But it's all there in one chapter for us. And he's saying in one generation, this whole thing will take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Verse 36. But, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were... So also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Meaning people are going to just be just about their own things. And suddenly it's going to happen. It's going to come. And two men will be in the field. One will be taken. One will be left. Two men will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken. The other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler, made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. In other words, be a good steward. You be about doing what you're doing. Don't be negligent about things. Keep your life in order because you don't know when all of this is going to happen. Surely I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his house. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to meet his fellow servants to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him at an hour that he's not aware of. And will cut him into two and appoint him his portion of the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. To sum it up, just, just be on the alert all the time. Now very quickly, let me make mention of certain areas of interest for us when we study Bible prophecy. We of course have to start with the Middle East. So we're talking about this region. Starting off with the river Tigris and Euphrates. That's where the Garden of Eden is. So let's go to the map there. That's where the Garden of Eden is placed. And... That part, that the, the Middle East, that location is the center, or is the hotbed of a lot of Bible prophecy. So today, if you look at it politically, we have Israel, uh, we have Jordan to the east, we have uh, Egypt to the south, we've got those Palestinian territories, the West Bank and Gaza on, on two sides of Israel, we've got Syria up in the north, we've also got Iraq, and then further up we've got Turkey coming up there, uh, and Lebanon, just right north of, of Israel. So Politically, that's an area of much interest for us. A lot of Bible prophecy centers around uh, that part of the world. And what is interesting is that um, right after the found, after uh, you know Daniel, Daniel prophesied in Daniel chapter two and again Daniel chapter four. He prophesied about about four world empires, and we will look at those prophecies in detail later on. Starting with the Babylonian Empire, Daniel said right after the Babylonian Empire would come another empire which would overthrow that empire, which was the Medo-Persian Empire, and Cyrus was one of their prominent leaders. But he also prophesied about the Greek Empire, which would overthrow, then overthrow the Medo-Persian. Alexander the Great was one, of, was one of the founding leaders of the Greek Empire. But then Daniel said, 
that after that would come a fourth world empire, which we recognize now is the Roman Empire, which he said will be stronger than all the others. And so here came the Roman Empire, which overthrew all the others, and they captured a major portion of their territory around the Mediterranean and so on. Uh, uh, and so that is important for us to understand. I'll just come back to it in a few minutes from now. But in the Middle East, changing just towards what's happening in the Middle East, what we understand today is that Israel is just a tiny part, a tiny piece of land in the Middle East. Israel is surrounded by Arab nations. There are about 57 countries that belong to the, uh, what, what is called as the uh, Organization of the Islamic Conference. 20, uh, 22 of these Arab nations are right there in the Middle East, surrounding Israel, all around Israel. And Islam dominates all this region and is spread to several parts where 57 countries are part of this uh, Islamic conference. What is important for us to understand is that many of these nations, especially Israel's neighbors, Egypt, Iraq, Syria, including Israel itself, did not exist as a nation less than 100 years ago. All of them came into existence within the last 100 years. And that's important because these countries are given by name in Bible prophecy. So here you are, nations are being established in order for these prophecies now to be fulfilled. Another important part that we need to keep our eyes on is the European Union and the former Roman Empire. Because what Daniel prophesied is this. So here you, have, you see the former Roman Empire that covered parts of northern Africa, uh, around the Mediterranean, parts of e- Europe today, uh, and other, pa- other countries in the Middle East. But all part of the former Roman Empire. Why is that important for us? Because Daniel said that when, once this fourth empire, which is the Roman Empire, comes into power, what will happen is this. Out of this empire will come ten horns. Now horns in the Bible represent leaders, powers, authorities. There will emerge ten leaders, leaders of ten nations, who will come together to engage, be involved in the Middle East, out of this region. And you and I will understand that much of the European Union covers this region. You would see that. There are some countries that are not part of the European Union that were part of the Roman Empire, and so we need to keep our eyes on them as well. But it's interesting that the European Union covers much of the former Roman Empire. So what Daniel said was 10 leaders will come, meaning leaders of 10 nations will emerge. Out of them, one will be the main leader. And he is going to lead this. He's going to be the leader of the north coming against Israel. And he's going to eventually be what the Bible calls as, as, as the Antichrist. So something for us to watch. So for us, it's, much of, it's of much interest to look at what's happening in Europe, especially the nations that were part of the former Roman Empire. Another region of interest for us is Russia. Because Ezekiel prophesies in Ezekiel 36, he names the different tribes of Russia, Gog, Magog, and Tubal, and other tribes, which today are clearly part of Russia. And he prophesied in Ezekiel 36 that they would come and attack Israel. And he describes the battle of Armageddon, how it will take place in three stages. Russia and its allies coming in, uh, in the first stage of the war. Uh, Russia coming in against Israel. Its allies will, will include Persia, which includes Iran and Iraq. Ethiopia, Libya, parts of Germany and Slovakia. And modern day Turkey and Egypt. So these nations will come against Israel at the start of what we call as the battle of Armageddon. So Russia and these nations are important for us to keep our eyes on. Another important part, and, and as you know, uh, you probably just 
July 1st, we had the quartet, which is the US, the UN, the EU, and Russia, formed in 2002. And they are trying to engage or uh, engage more proactively in the Middle East and try to advise uh, both Israel and the Palestinians on how to bring about peace there. And so it's interesting that these are the very nations, or are the groups of nations, the UN, uh, the, the EU, US, and Russia, engaging intentionally, proactively in trying to bring peace uh, to that very part of the world. Another reason to be uh, uh, aware of is China and the kings from the east. In Revelation chapter 9, the Bible talks about an army of 200 million people, the kings of the east leading an army of 200 million people against Israel. Now, the reason we put down China is because, and China is not the only country because it talks about the kings of the east, meaning plural, meaning there will be leaders more than one. But east of Israel and the country that can potentially do this is China. Right now they have a standing army of over 2 million soldiers, an army, a ready army of 2 million soldiers. And it's easy for them and possibly other leaders in that region, the east of Israel, who will come against Israel in the battle of Armageddon. And that's given to us in Revelation 9. We will look at the scriptures. And uh, very important for us as part of our, our geography and our area of interest is uh, the valley of Jezreel. This is right north of Israel. It's uh, 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 going across uh, Syria, Lebanon, uh, Syria and Iraq right before the river Euphrates. And you will see that on the map. The valley of Jezreel is important because over the last 4,000 years, Several battles, at least 34 major conflicts have taken place right there at, uh, at Megiddo the, uh, or the Valley of Jezreel. Including Napoleon fought there and the British General Allenby fought there uh, when he overthrew the Ottoman uh, Turks at the Battle of Megiddo in 1918. These battles happened in that plain. And what the Bible says is this, that at the end of that tribulation, in preparation for the Battle of Armageddon, the river Euphrates is going to dry up. And armies are going to march against Israel. Initially, there would be the, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the kings of the north, you will see there. The leader of this ten nation confederacy, he's going to come in. There's going to be the kings of the north coming in. There's going to be the kings of the south, most likely Egypt and other nations. And there are going to be the kings of the east, this army of 200,000 people. All of them are going to converge in this area called the Valley of Jezreel for this final conflict, the Battle of Armageddon. And so that part of the world is of much interest to us. And one last area of interest is the Temple Mount, as I mentioned earlier. Today, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, that was the site of Solomon's Temple, a very sacred place to the Jews, visited often by Christians, but also very important for the Muslims. Right now, a mosque stands there at the Temple Mount. But the Jews want it back. The Israelis want it back. For them, it's sacred. It's right there in Jerusalem. And if there's any one thing that can bring all the 57 Arab nations right up against Israel, it's this one thing. If Israel decides they're going to take over the Temple Mount, it's going to be one major battle if Israel decides to do that. But the Bible says that temple has to be rebuilt. It will be rebuilt. Because that abomination of desolation the leader of the ten-nation confederacy, he is going to march in as a man of peace. He's going to come into the Temple Mount, but then he's going to desecrate the name of the living God. So in order that, for that to happen, the temple has to be rebuilt. And we will talk about these prophecies uh, in the Sundays to come. Are you still awake? All right? So we're going to put a pause here. We'll continue this next Sunday. But I just want us to understand, the Bible is so clear. 
and all that is going to happen in the days to come. We have a job to do here on earth, to live for Jesus. His word is true. Our God is great. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. I call the worship team up, please. I'm going to spend a few moments. I know it's close to one o'clock. It's well over our time. But I want us to take a few moments here this morning. If you feel like, God, I need to get my life ready in a hurry. I just need to get right with God. I got to live this life for something that matters because our life is so short. It's going to be here. It's gone. I got to do it, something useful with that. So, Lord, I want to place my life in your hands. I want Jesus to take over the, the ownership of my life. I want him to be the director, the leader of my life. If you feel like you want to do that, I want you to take this time just to pray. Say, God, I want to place my life in your hands. Our God is greater. Our God is amazing. He's a healer. He's a deliverer. We're going to worship Him this morning, a few moments, and I want you to engage with God and say, Lord, my life is in your hands. You're an amazing God.
Father, we just thank you. We just thank you, God, for how great you are. How powerful you are. There's anyone here this morning and you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ? If you never prayed in your heart and said, Jesus, forgive my sins and I want to put my life in your hands. I turn away from living my own life. I want to live for your purpose. If you've never done that this morning, would you do that right now? If you feel that moving in your heart, I want to invite you to do that. Say, Jesus, I have my life in your hands. My life in your hands. We're going to close, but if you need prayer, we'll be here to pray with you. Whether you need healing in your body, uh, something else that, that you need prayer about personally, we'll be available to pray with you. We're going to close. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the sweet fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with each of us always. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.